0: Welcome to Blast Beats and Bicycles, the podcast. We are here and excited to be talking to a brand new world record holder, Keith Morikal, who just went through 48 states in one month. Keith, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks a lot. Appreciate it.
0: I guess welcome back is the uh, is the best way to say it because we had you on the show last summer and we talked a little bit about some of your exploits, um, and you have just completed a pretty amazing ride. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you did this summer? I just rode through all 48 continental
1: states, uh, starting in Washington, ending in Maine. um, That's 7,100 miles, and I did it in 30 days, 22 hours, and 28 minutes. That's an average of just shy of 230 miles a day
0: for the 30 days running.
1: And it felt like it only took a week.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I can only imagine what, what that must have been like and we'll talk a lot about the ride um in, in as we go through the conversation. But I, I wanna kinda understand what was your initial inspiration. I mean, what made you think this was a good idea?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I
0: I you know, last year I did the Trans America bike race,
1: uh ended up in second and uh that was a year ago in twenty nineteen, and um I did it strictly for myself. I did it because I've always wanted to do a Race Across America type of race, and uh, I felt it was pretty selfish in many regards, but that I owed it to myself after years of working and whatever. And uh, But the interesting thing was that easily 80% of the people I talked to about it used the word inspiration, or that was so inspiring. And a lot of them would follow that up with what they – chose to do as a result. Maybe start riding their bike or maybe do something different in business or whatever the case. But a lot of them would just say, wow, that was so inspiring. And so I started asking back, well, inspiring in what way? And a lot of them didn't really know. It was just like inspiring. And so um, I came off that season with that race and then I did PVP successfully and then I I won another race, the North Star, which is a great one, from St. Paul to Canada and back or your listening Hmm. audience is is a great race. It happens in uh, September every year. Uh, And uh, and then I was like, well, what do I do next year? And um, I looked at uh, the Tour Divide, and I looked at uh, Transcontinental, both of which are extremely tough races, but in some ways somewhat similar to what I had done. And um, so I started looking around a little bit more, and I've always wanted to bike all 48 continental states. Actually, I want to bike all 50 states. I'm still missing Hawaii at this point. But, um, and I noticed that the woman, there was a woman from Italy, a great gal, that has the record for riding through all 48 states. And so um, I said, well, that looks very interesting. Let, let's try that. And, and, uh, and when I was putting that together, it was like, but I don't want to just do it for me. I've already done that. Uh, I want to do something bigger uh, than that and uh, before I had started the Transamerica I had I was starting on working in, I was starting to work on a new business and the business was really an assessment for helping people identify ways of making a living in a fulfilling fashion and the company mm-hmm. was called Actualize and there's a model that goes along with it and so forth And and I realized that all these people that, were, that could potentially be inspired by me riding as over 7,000 miles in a month could do something. And so I came up with a very simple challenge, and that challenge was make one goal for yourself, bigger, better, different, new, that would help you live a more fulfilling life in any hmm. way you define that. And, and that challenge, to the extent that people take it on, is one where uh, research has shown, as I am defined fulfillment, or living on purpose, uh, that there's extremely strong correlation between uh, fulfillment and doing something of value for your world. And so I figured, well, if everybody's trying to get more fulfilled themselves, they'll, they'll actually make the world a better place. And so um, so I decided I'd combine this business idea I was working on before Trans Am, with what I learned from TransAm, put them together into this ride and kind of kick off my business, Actualize.org, little plug, but uh, with uh, this notion of, of doing things that help you live on purpose. So that's the why.
0: And and so, obviously, there's a lot of planning that went into it. Um, what was the process for figuring out how to approach the record component? Talk a little bit about what that looked like.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I figured I needed a shorter route. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, you know, to cut some miles. So I, I went online and I, I was looking at people that have set the record for driving the 48 states
0: mm-hmm. and I
1: found a route that was uh, just shy of, of 7,000 miles and then I wrote to that gentleman and I said, oh geez, could you help me, you know, could you give me a copy of your map and, and he said, well actually somebody's beat me now and apparently there's this little online contest for finding the shortest way to get through the states and mm. one of these guys actually wrote this piece on how to make routes shorter. You know, you, you don't. And, hmm. and anyway, so I started researching that a bit and I found one that was 6,500 miles, but it was on a lot of really, really, really unsafe roads for bikes and, mm-hmm. and some roads in the States and the East you simply couldn't go on. And so I made a couple change. I made quite a few changes. I, I routed in, uh, through Utah versus Nevada that added 300 miles. And I, um, I went to Ohio after, um, Indiana versus coming up through uh, West Virginia, uh, cut from the Mm. south, uh, because then if I would have gone the the shorter route there, uh, I would have had to go through the Appalachian Mountains twice, all Mm. the way through them twice. And and those are the hardest riding in all the country. So I decided (laughs) I'd just tack on another couple hundred miles and hit Ohio before then. Uh, So I ended up adding, like what was that, 600 miles over the shortest route that Mm this guy had come up with.
0: But, was there a requirement uh, was, for how much how much distance or how much time you'd have to spend in a given state?
1: Well, that was an interesting thing because uh, this is a Guinness World Record, and
0: yeah, um,
1: and their criteria was simply the you, you know there's like ten rules, and one of them is that you have to ride your bike the whole way. You can't you can't take any other form of transportation, which cut out ferries yep. and and, uh, and some other modes of transportation. Sure. Um, at, which added some distance too, by the way. And then the other one was your bike, and you had to be physically over the state line in every mm-hmm. state. That was whether it. you made. You know. And so, uh, so like big states like California, Texas, Maine, Montana, Florida, I basically just clipped the corners. I mean, yeah. it was like you ride long in the short states, and you ride short in the long states. So, um, so it was. It was kind of interesting. But once I had my route, I said, oh, this is, you know, once I had this base route of about 6,500, I went at it with a ride with GPS. And it took me about six weeks of plotting out every little turn and nook mm-hmm. all the way across the country. Uh, went from a total neophyte on that software to <laughs> a power user. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> and and
0: anyway. so uh, then you, you must have had to have contacted the Guinness uh, people. Specifically, right?
1: Yep, you write to the Guinness, and uh, in this case, they already had the record on, so I was just uh, going for the same record as a male, as this one went for as a female, which makes it a little easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and then I waited and waited, and, uh, and I, actually, Guinness is a money-making organization. Let's—I'll just leave it at that and leave that story for another day. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So did were you, did you get any beer as a as a reward for the, the winning the record?
1: No, no. And in fact, I haven't. I don't have the official plaque yet. Um, uh, the the amount of uh, documentation is pretty significant. Usually, they want mm. video from start to finish. Uh, but if it's over a week, they'll accept ten minutes a day. Well, ten minutes a day for thirty days. You know, we're talking about a couple hour video putting yeah. together. and That that takes time and energy and cost. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, plus we've got a three ring binder that has, mm-hmm. I don't know, 250 signatures and, uh, gosh knows wow. how many receipts and, and everything else. And there's <laughs> a lot of documentation that's getting put together for this. Uh, but uh, there's no doubt in my mind it's going to be more than sufficient when it's all said and done. That's,
0: that's great. Um, and so talk a little bit about your planning process. When did you start preparing for this ride? Well, um, I got the idea
1: uh, in about November. And I, I started doing a little bit of work uh, at the early November. And then I took a break for Thanksgiving. I was traveling. And then when, as soon as I got back, I ended up having a tore retina. And oh, no. I uh, I was I was no longer allowed to work out uh, until Ooh. middle of January. So it put me back about six weeks of training. Uh, but in that time, I, I continued to plan um, and, and uh, do things like uh, shop RVs, <laughs> and, and started to, to to quite try to figure out who in the heck I could possibly ask to be a crew that would want to give up a bitter part of their summer uh, chasing me around the country, uh, which is no small ask. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, the, the details were. Were were endless, really. I'm
0: I'm sure. I mean, I can only imagine just the physical training part, but then you start to think about the nutrition component, how and when and where you're going to rest, how you're going to deal with mechanical issues. I mean, what were some of the biggest things that you were concerned about as you went into the planning process?
1: You know, it's really interesting because um, I, I had been, for the previous 18 months, I had been so laser-focused on learning sleep, learning sleep cycles, learning how to nap, learning coffee mm-hmm. naps, lear- learning how to do that, learning nutrition, uh, really starting from scratch on how to actually do workouts and, and plan training. And I worked with a great coach, Greg Grandgeorge. I talked to about him the last time I was on your show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, really put together a program, And and I was basically working out six days a week and had been now for almost two years so that had become rote and it almost was like that was the easy part of the day which was really interesting because of how hard it was the year prior when i was getting ready of transam. it was like it was all about the workouts and all about sleep and all and this year what ended up happening was that i had a crew for the first time ever and every one of my crew was a rookie never done anything like this at all either mm-hmm. um uh you know I, I had my sister Wendy Moracle and I had uh Brian Reese and I had uh, uh Keegan Stringer and I had uh Leslie Moracle, my sister and none of these four people had ever crewed at all anywhere and so it was like how do you do this and ironically uh, I, I heard, I actually talked with the woman record holder, follow uh, from Italy. And uh, she gave me the idea of what you get an RV or how she did. It. it was an RV with a couple friends. And it was like, that sounds like that might work. So kind of went down that, that path, but um, oof, yeah, it, it just got, <laughs> as the race got closer and closer, I was working harder and harder to try to get things put together. Um, and my my crew chief Wendy uh, was also working like' full time you know I, I'm trying right. to plan you know where 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 can you get propane where can you dump you know where's a dumping station all this kind of mm. stuff and in the meantime covid's going raging you know the pandemic yeah. raging. raging is the first bubble right when we're trying to plan this and we have people talking to us like what are you doing you're gonna go spread this around the country you got your idiots mm-hmm. than that we're thinking, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Viking's probably one of the safest things you can do. And But we decided we would go as uh, as stringent as we could on that, and we said, what we're going to do is we're going to do shelter in place in the RV, so that we really aren't talking to anybody, we aren't seeing anybody, we're just moving on through, and and that's what we ended up doing, um, which took even more planning, you know, and sure. and then of course. Unfortunately, I had some great crew lined up and because of the pandemic, either uh, family members that worked as healthy and they needed, you know, some care or, or other or business concerns or whatever had to drop out right at the last minute. And mm. so now it really we're talking two, three weeks before this race and I'm starting to look for my crew again. Wow. And, thanks. You know, yeah. And uh, luckily Brian Reese, uh, from, that that actually is the coordinator for the North Star bike race here in Minnesota, came out of the woodworks and said, "Oh, I'd love to do that. That'd be great. and And then he actually found a great friend of his, uh, Keegan, that uh, um, that I had not, I hadn't met prior to that. And he said, "Yeah, I'll do it. What the heck? i'll do I'll do two weeks of that." So uh, so we really got lucky. Uh, those two, and my sisters were uh, were phenomenal crew, as it turned out
0: that's fantastic and and you uh, talk a little bit about your bike setup too. you obviously had a, a setup that worked pretty well for you in the Transamerica what uh, what did you do differently this time around
1: well I started off with the same bike and I started off with a smaller frame pack In the Transam I had a full frame pack and a front front pack and a, a small seat bag this because I had support I didn't need to take as much however I'm a huge eater Um, the more I eat the better I ride and so I took a mini frame pack and the front pack for my water as well as uh, a little um, what do you call those little trunk uh, you know on the top bar, my electronics Mm -hmm. and uh, and I basically the, the mini frame pack was filled with snacks. That's all it that was in there <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> even, with, even with close follow, it wasn't soon enough to get more food in my stomach. So, um, <laughs> so yeah. So I started with the same bike, similar setup. I, I bought a new rear wheel for it. Um, and uh, unfortunately, on day three, I was going through Salt Lake City. And it was daytime, and uh, and the weather was okay, and uh, somewhat partly cloudy, I guess. And I ran into a barrier on a bike path hard. I was going between 18 to 20 miles an hour, did not see the barrier until it was within six inches of my front tire. No time to even think about hitting the brakes. And I flew over the thing. Um, The top, there's two bars my my bike hit uh, front tube, hit the bottom bar, and just smashed it to hell. And the bike stayed on that side. I flew off, hit both quads in kind of a crouched position as I'm flying Superman style over the top of this. Oh. I do a 550 flip with a half twist. And oh, I, man. the first time around, I hit my head on the pavement, although it was just very glancing. didn't even scratch my helmet. And the second time I came around, I planted my knee into the pavement to stop. My oh. so, oh. I, so I, you know, I, I jammed some rocks into my knee, and my knee was hugely swollen. And I had both my quads were black and blue, and my bike was destroyed. Oh. And I'm sitting there on the side of the road, and thank God there's a there's a there's an emergency responder, a fireman that was working in his front yard, 20 feet from me when it happened, <laughs> wow. and he comes over, he's checking my vitals and making sure I'm not going into shock and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, now I'm on the side of the road and then my bike is unrideable, but I've got a rule that I've got to ride my bike anywhere I go. So I couldn't be, if I was driven to the clinic or emergency room, I would be disqualified. Yeah. So I, I kind of shook it off and kind of got over it. it took a while, I'd say a couple hours for me to just kind of regain my composure. It was a hard hit. And then it was like, okay, I brought an extra bike for parts. Well, now my (laughs) extra bike for parts, which was by the way, brand new. I just I just I'd ridden it exactly once prior to this trip. As opposed to the forty thousand miles on the one I was riding. Yeah. Uh, so I'm on the side of the road and I'm putting on the aero bars and I'm putting on some reflectors and getting, you know, my bags on there and kind of setting it up. And it starts to rain, you know, all oh, through this. No. I'm, hurt, I'm working on my bike on the side of the road and it's raining out. It's like, oh, this is great. Well, the nice part of this the ending was nice because as I finally got the bike ready to go and I felt like, OK, I could get on it and try to pedal a little bit the sun had came out and a huge rainbow came out and landed on the bike path that I was going to go down as I was. Wow.
0: Leaving. And wow. It was just, just
1: like, oh yeah. Th- thank you, <laughs> dad or dad or, yeah. heaven, or whatever. And, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it was, uh, it was good, uh, there, but, uh, that was supposed to be a big attack day, and it turned out it was just like, okay, we're riding into Salt Lake and hit the first mm-hmm. motel we find because that's all the further I can make it.
0: Yeah. Oh man. So
1: anyway, you were asking about equipment. I'm sorry. So what happened was I ended up using this brand new bike, which was uh, Open Up, Open Up, uh, mm-hmm. made out of Austria. Great bike, fantastic. I didn't really miss a beat with it at all, and I loved the bike. Uh, and uh, I was really just amazingly lucky. Um, I mean, I, I hadn't had it fit or anything. It was just, let's put it together and ride it. So, um, uh, brand new, <laughs> with a brand new saddle. Wow. So. That, uh, yeah.
0: That's amazing. You know, when you think about mm-hmm. all of the work that goes into getting a good fit on a bike, and I think you just jumped on this brand new bike and rode away. That's very impressive. <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. The, the fitting actually was. That's not totally fair. I rode down to Freewheel Bike, which is where I do all my stuff, and uh, the fitter, Mike down there in Eden Prairie, is a good friend of mine. But it was COVID time, so he mm-hmm. couldn't do fitting. Can't get right. in. You know what? And so he goes ride around the parking lot. I'll just watch you. <laughs> he actually said, oh, we're going to move your we're going to move your arrow bars out a little bit okay you're good to go
0: <laughs> and and anybody who's ever had a bike fit knows that the fitter's got their their hands all over you and pushing you around and so to do it from that far away is a pretty impressive yeah. feat
1: yeah no lasers or
0: no enough. yeah right <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> and you you talked about about the food that you ate um, Along the way and that you were constantly uh, eating did you have some things that? Um, you were your go-to snacks along the way, or what was kind of your eating routine?
1: Yeah, that's good. I, well, first of all I was I was burning about ten thousand five hundred calories a day Wow, So and I don't have much body fat, so I needed to consume that much also And uh, so it became a game of chess, you know, how can I, what else, what can I eat next that's not going to make me sick, basically, was Mm -hmm. the game. And I like to eat, so that's a fun game for me. But Mm -hmm. um, in the morning, I'd eat breakfast foods, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, eggs on English muffins or, you know, kind of a McMuffin type of food, Mm -hmm. if you will. Well, first of all, I'd wake up and I'd have either yogurt or granola uh, uh, or oatmeal as my first breakfast with some juice. I'd get out riding it. And then, you know, an hour or two later, I'd come back for a second breakfast. And that would be more eggs and hearty, maybe some ham and whatever, like a real breakfast uh, with snacks in between all of these, of course. And then I'd come back for a first lunch, um, which was usually. Um, a lighter lunch maybe a sandwich or uh whatever and then i would come back for a second lunch uh come you know two three in the afternoon time frame-ish if you're thinking of a day and then Mm -hmm. i would ride for quite a while and then i'd come and have dinner and what dinner was really my only time for sure that i would get in the rv sit down and eat and it was my one time to talk with my crew and and with the camera people that were along on this this ride and um and uh, kind of re- regenerate. I might do a coffee nap. I oftentimes stopped and took a shower, a quick quick shower right then at dinner mm-hmm. because I was then getting ready to do my night ride. And my night ride, I would often, uh, my, my goal was a minimum of 220 miles a day. I needed to do a minimum of 220 a day. And sometimes mm-hmm. I get done with riding all day and I would only have, one day it was so discouraging, I only had 78 miles. Oh, and I had God. to get 220 night you know usually it was more like 150 or something mm-hmm. you know so it's all real reasonable 60 70 80 90 miles at night no problem uh, but sometimes it was just ridiculous and so so i really would refresh myself that one time at dinner most days and then mm-hmm. i'd get out and i would and then i'd ride and at night they would close follow which is basically the vans right behind you mm-hmm. and with their lights on so you could see well so i could see well and i've got you know, poor night vision, like a lot of people. And, and I tell you, my riding at night was so much stronger and so much faster hmm. and so much better than during the day. It was just, it was night and day, every day. Uh, wow. One of my, a of my crew said, I asked him, what's a, your favorite part of the trip? He goes, watching you ride after dinner. <laughs> you <know>? No kidding. <laughs> yeah. That's and, amazing. And I think too, my average during the day might be 14 to 15 miles, you know, 12 to 15 miles an hour. And at night I would start out my first two hours would be anywhere from 19 to 22 miles an hour. And then another two hours I'd still be in 19 to 20 range. And then I would start to drop hmm. off. So wow. yeah, it was amazing. Yeah.
0: It, it, was it, was there ever any food that you just had had enough of that you couldn't eat anymore or now can't ever look at again? Oh yeah.
1: yeah sorry. Yeah, the food question. Right. Uh, no, I, you know, the funny thing is that um, it's all about balance. You know, you got foods that are, that are protein, you've got those that are carbohydrates, you've got the fats, you've know, you got mm-hmm. the salts, the sugars, and, and it's really what can go down next. And um, mm-hmm. as they wore on, the sugars would start getting a little sickening, like one more Gatorade and I'm just going to puke. Kind of thing, but when I stopped and had that, that dinner, it was a real meal. I'd have a steak and potatoes and a salad. You know, I'd, I'd have a real wow. meal, and that would reset my body completely, good enough for another 24 hours. So go tos were big. Go tos were peanut butter and honey sandwiches, which I was eating on my bike all the time. Ice cream sandwiches, which I think I had at every single break the entire trip. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Totally ridiculous, yeah. Totally <laughs> I love <ridiculous>. it. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so it was more a matter of getting and nuts. I would eat tons and tons of nuts, uh, dried fruit, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And it was really more a matter of what could I eat next. Because sure. you know, eat a, eat a bag of raw almonds and all of a sudden it's like, I really don't feel like eating a bag of peanuts now kind of
0: thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh,
1: but I'm certainly ready for something maybe like a nectarine you know? Yeah.
0: So. Yeah. So you talked a little would, bit too would, earlier, but uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry.
1: That's all right. I was just going to say, I'd lean on real foods like nectarines and cooked little baby mm-hmm. potatoes, and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm.
0: So Yeah. Um, you, you've mentioned the coffee ride a couple of times and you explained that when you were on the show last summer as well. But I'm curious to know, uh, in addition to that, Napping technique uh, how you managed to get good rest. What was your process for figuring out how and when to rest?
1: Okay, yeah, um, really um, This was something that I spent a lot of time on Quite a while before the Trans Am that has been priceless for me And that is really learning about sleep cycles and there's four cycles. I I might have mentioned this before and if I did I apologize Mm -hmm, or cut me off or something but There's four cycles and the first cycle is you just get restful it, you know, it's like you're calm, mm-hmm. and you're still almost semi-lucid, but not really. And that lasts very short. And then you fall into a, a second cycle where your body starts really uh, relaxing, uh, and your muscles and your soft tissues start to to regenerate. Uh, that lasts a little longer, and then you have phase three, or uh, which is really... Where your body basically shuts off and it is doing heavy duty reconstruction of your body, uh, mm-hmm. uh, of the physical part of your body below your neck. And then you go into mm-hmm. phase four, which is RAM, which is where dreaming happens. But really, what's happening mm-hmm. is it's cleaning out the brain, it's cleaning out the neuron connections uh, in there. And mm-hmm. when you start to sleep, Phase two and three are longer, and as you have more of these cycles, each of these cycles starts at about an hour and a half for per a typical person and then gets a little shorter as so the night goes on, and if you go through four or five of those cycles, then REM starts getting longer and longer, and phase two and three get shorter and shorter, and that's why a good eight-hour night sleep is really good. One of the many, many reasons why eight hours of sleep is really good for so many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, well, on this race, you don't have the advantage of an eight hour sleep. I mean, I had right. one six hour sleep. That was my longest mm. night sleep in a month. I was averaging about three hours or just a little under per 24 hour mm. period. Um, and, and that's not good for your brain. Let me tell you. Uh, but what it, what I could do is I would, what was really great was we had the RV. So when it was time to stop, Literally, we'd pull over on the side of the road or in a you know, in a parking lot or in, mm-hmm. in a field, anywhere, and I would just ride up. One of my crew would take my bike. I, I went in. I always took a shower when I got done because it um, helps prevent saddle sores. Uh, and mm-hmm. I would lie down within 10 minutes of getting to the RV, and I'd be asleep in 10 minutes and 15 seconds after getting to the RV. And I would tell mm-hmm. my crew how many of these sleep cycles of an hour and a half I was going to sleep before I got up. Never once setting my alarm. I never use an alarm ever. And so it's like, okay, I feel like I could sleep. I feel like I could get by on three hours of sleep. I'll be up in three hours. So I just kind of tell them that put in the noise canceling headphones and sleep. And then I would wake up three hours later and have my first breakfast and start my day again. Um, wow. Or I would do an hour and a half, or in some cases, I would do four and a half. Ironically, more times than not, when I said, let's do four and a half, um, I ended up getting up at three and going anyway uh, just because. I, I don't <laughs> know. I, it, it was wild. Uh, but, uh, but yeah. Uh, so basically, like I, I said, a couple years ago, really I trained myself how to wait. So every time you go through this, those four cycles on phase one is when you want to wake up. Oh, this is the important part. This is the important part of cycles. If you wake up in phase one, you wake up refreshed and ready to go. If you wake up in phase late late phase two or three, you will be groggy until mm-hmm. such time that you sleep through all four cycles. No matter what. Hmm. You can drink all the coffee you want. It's a, it's a grouchy, groggy day. All of us have had those when we've woken up mm-hmm. by alarms. But if you wake up, so, and then if you wake up in phase four, then you remember your dream. And most of us don't do that very often, but that's acceptable for your body and you're ready to go again, pretty much more mm-hmm. or less. So so the the secret is you got to wake up in phase one. And so what I did for about nine months is I put my little phone upside down next to me on my bed or next to my bed. And I taught myself how to wake. Every time I thought I was sort of, semi-lucid, I'd just reach over my hand and I'd click to take a screenshot of my phone, you know, without looking at it, you know, Mm -hmm. just push the the volume and the the power button and and it takes a screenshot. And I I won't worry about it. And then in the morning I'd get up and I'd look and I'd see how long my cycles were. I'd compare that to how tired I was when I went to bed and blah, blah, blah. But that simple act of moving my hand over my chest and hitting those buttons really taught me how to be able to wake up any hour and a half segment of my sleep. And Mm -hmm. so... So that, so when I went to bed, Amazing. I just said, yeah, how tired am I? Oh, I mean, I, I'm not very tired. I'm going an hour and a half, you know?
0: Yeah. You, uh, uh, you obviously talked about that horrific crash at the very beginning. What were some of the other obstacles that you encountered along the way?
1: Well, it, it, they were all at the be- Most of them were at the beginning. Uh, I got there, uh, in uh, Walla Walla where we started, and I wasn't really ready to go yet. I mean, I had been uh, working night and day uh, for two weeks right up to the end to try to get, like, the RV ready, doing plumbing mm-hmm. and electrical and all this other BS that had nothing to do with bike riding. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I, you know, I just feel sorry if I go to a, an event and I see somebody that's not ready to do the race when it's ready to start. You know, it's like, you don't have a chance. Why are you even here? And I was mm-hmm. feeling that, you know. I didn't want to let on that I was feeling that, but I was feeling that inside and I was feeling bad about that. Uh, And then, you know, three days in, I have this crash wrecked my bike, wrecked my legs. And then uh, the next day was kind of recovery day. Actually, we had a big team meeting anyway, recovery day. But the day after that, things were going, all of these serendipitous things were happening. And um, can I diverse for one second here?
0: Of course. Absolutely. Well,
1: Well, so, I am talking to the videographer at about two in the morning the next day after that accident. And we're talking about video and we're talking about whatever. And instead of saying we're done with the conversation, instead of him saying, good night, see you tomorrow, he said, watch out for the rabbits. Like that. Oh, jeez! Like out of the blue. And as he said, rabbits, a little bunny jumped out from the side of the road and landed immediately in front of my front bike tire, and I ran (sighs) over it. I mean, it was was just like it was there. And it was like, what the heck is this? you got to be – and there was three other events like that that were just like somebody had guessed or someone had made a comment that was so dead on. It's like, how would he – and I said How did you know? He goes, oh, yeah, there was a bunch of rabbits along the road. Why did you say it like that? (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Well, anyway, the (laughs) next day, so this is is a day and a half after that accident, uh, clock time. Uh, I get this text from my niece that was just a loving text, but it could be read two ways, one way very ominous and one way very positive. And right then, I'm getting on. I'm at the top of the largest hill left uh, in that uh, for the whole trip, actually the largest downhill mm-hmm. for the rest of the trip. And I'm getting on a freeway. I, I it was at interstate 84 anyway. And it was busy. The interstate was actually busy, but usually interstates have the really wide shoulders. No big deal. And I love to go fast. So it's like, okay, I'm going to wind it out and get ripping down this mountain.
0: Yeah. on the
1: freeway. And I do, I wind it up, you know, top gear as fast as I can paddle. And then I just, you know, get down in the arrows and just, you know, start cranking and all of a sudden there was a bridge that had narrow shoulder like a like a four foot shoulder all of a sudden, oh man, and it had every bit of trash a freeways ever had tire wires, oh. tools, rocks, boulders, you know pieces of fender, and it was all right there and and the traffic was in the right lane going by me oh, and man. I was going easily mid forties you know so oh, maybe I used to say forty five and I hit the first thing and it was <clears throat> And all of a sudden, the whole bike starts to shake. And it's like, OK, something is not right. And oh, I didn't know man. the front tire, the rear tire, the wheel, what. Yeah. And then I realized, OK, I have, I have a flat. And it was like a total blowout. It was like flat. It wasn't like, and yeah. it was my, it was my <laughs> front tire. And, uh, so I'm skittering along and I don't know if you've ever tried to ride with a total flat on your front, but it is damn close to impossible. And, and there's cars going by me on the right. And I've got a four foot shoulder and I'm riding through all these rocks and stuff. And I'm just holding on for everything I got to just get through and try to slow down, you know, slow enough that I don't wipe out. And, and there was a little entrance ramp just down beyond me a little bit. And I start aiming to get, you know, off the entrance ramp, basically, mm-hmm. and, yeah. um, and I'm, now I'm down to under 10, so it's like a relatively safe speed, but I realized that I'm creening right over what would be the edge <laughs> of the abyss on the far side of the <laughs> ramp. <laughs> so it's like, so I'm going oh, slow man. enough now, I think, I'm going to try to turn, and I try to turn, and I rip the tire right off my wheel, and I just go down, take all oh, the skin oh, off yeah. the other side of my body. And it's like, oh, my God, I consider myself a good bike rider. What is this? And uh, and my crew had – that was the first time we said, okay, crew, you take a break. Just go to a coffee shop. We'll see you in a couple hours, no problem. Oh, no. And the video guys were long gone. They were in the other direction, like an hour. And uh, so I'm sitting there on on the freeway for, like, an hour waiting for people to come back to, like, give me a (laughs) wheel, whatever. yeah. Uh,
0: Meanwhile, you're bleeding all over, and your kid is shredded, and
1: yeah, and, and exactly, and the tire is shot, and there's nothing I can do about it. And so I'm sitting there, and I and I finally, you know, I don't even tell the video guys to come back and shoot it. I was just too embarrassed; my ego wouldn't allow it. I just, it was terrible. Yeah. And, and uh, but anyway, I get going, and I put on some music. I was like, okay, calm down, put on some music. Let's just do this. And the first song was from from uh, from my, uh, cult album that I that I had never heard before. My friend had just let me borrow it. And um, and um, so and the first song was one that's talking about you're nothing. You're full of road rash. You're on the road. You <laughs> dirty dog. You're like, you know, I, I got to get the words back, but it's just like, oh my <laughs> god, you got to be kidding me. Here's, you know, and, and I started, and I re, and I started like all the adrenaline started draining out of me and stuff. And I realized I was really in a state of shock. And that second accident was like the lowest point of the trip because it was just like, holy cow, I'm I'm less than five days into this trip. You know, I wasn't ready to start. I've had two major accidents. I've lost my bike. Now I've got road rash on one side of me and my muscles and knee are
0: all fucked up.
1: (laughs) Excuse my language. (laughs)
0: That's okay. It's a podcast. You can say whatever the hell you want.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And, and so it's just like, Oh goodness. Not so good. Not so good. Um, And, and we we were going to do a group photo shot uh, shot because one of my sister crew was going to leave the next day. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I was in such a foul mood. I pulled it over my crew chief, which was my sister. And I said, listen, I don't know if I can go on. And literally, I was just like, I was shaking and I was crying. And I was just like, I don't know if I can go on. I just, I feel I'm going to kill myself, you know, if I, if I keep mm-hmm. going. And, uh, you know, it was like, okay, we'll just take it easy here. And so I took it easy a little bit and that feeling kind of passed. And. And and then progressively everything got better and better as the trip went on and on. By the time I yeah. got to Minneapolis, I was feeling great. By the time I got to Ohio, it was like okay, you know, charge on. Um, yeah. So, yeah.
0: you uh, you mentioned that that song, and and you seem to have taken a lot of inspiration for yourself from uh, music along this trip. Talk a little bit about how you picked the music that you did to ride with.
1: Well, that yeah. Um, you know, music is a good motivator. Anyone that rides their bike and likes music knows that. You obviously do. <laughs> with your Indeed. Show. Indeed. Uh, yeah. um, and usually I would crank up something for my night rides when I was doing so well as well. Oftentimes I wouldn't during the day as much, but um, I-, I like listening to music. It is, it is a natural motivator. It's a natural, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, it gets the adrenaline going and stuff. So, um, and I had a, I have a pretty extensive uh, music collection personally that I that mm-hmm. I've been ever since forever. I was a little kid, and, and so uh, I had a lot of that loaded up on my phone. And then I also had a an iPod, uh, mm, 160 iPod, the old school that I've had since they were like new. Um, that is just loaded to the gills uh, and all compressed. So there's a ton of stuff on there. Anyway. I'm, you know, jeez, I don't know. On a lot of trips, I spend a lot of time thinking about business ideas and about the people I've seen and the trash and the, you know, what, why this trash? By the way, the yeah. the biggest trash in the the most common trash in the United States of America is Bud Light cans. Just to let you know, uh, you know, survey <laughs> all 48 states, it was in every one of them. Bud Light. Cam. So, but. uh yeah, and thinking about geography and all that stuff. But this trip I was ended up I really was thinking about riding technique. I was thinking about my crew mm-hmm. because it was so unusual to have such a tight knit group. And I was thinking about and then I'd listen to music and every time I listen to music I start thinking about a friend or somebody an occasion in my life when I heard that. You know, we all have you know, music is such a good tie to memory. And so mm-hmm. I spent I spent, oh geez, forty to sixty percent of this trip uh, thinking about people I knew based on the music I was listening to, or wow. uh, vice versa. Thinking about people and then playing music that reminded me of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and that was you had yeah, a lot that, of
0: a lot of classic rock type stuff. Like Deep Purple, I noticed on on your playlist. You got some Aerosmith in there, even a little Black Sabbath. <laughs> yes,
1: indeed. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yes, indeed. I I, I was definitely into uh, the black and blue bands uh, uh, in my younger days. And I must Mm -hmm. say, I still like them very much for writing. I
0: I appreciate that. There were a couple of unique things, too, uh, that I I, I saw on your list that surprised me. One was uh, Madonna, like a virgin.
1: Yes. Well, and and note that... uh, for those of you that haven't seen this list, um, which maybe we can make available if you wanted, but uh, yeah. I have an explanation or a story that goes with each of these songs. And on that one, I was almost like apologetic. I really didn't want this to be the <laughs> song of the day, but when I turned it on, uh, I, it really got me going. And, uh, you know, anything that really gets me, you know, amped up and going uh, was a, a immediate candidate. So, um so that one definitely made it for that purpose. Although, yeah. um, Confessions on a Dance Floor, not on the list you're seeing, but that's going to make the list. And there are some songs on there that I actually do very much enjoy when I'm writing quite frequently.
0: Uh, well, it's upbeat. You know, I'm a high high tempo uh, in most of the music, so i got to believe that it's good to keep a nice high cadence, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: The other, the other th- one that I that I found really interesting is is Blue Man Group. Yeah. I uh, I love that record audio. We I, we saw them in concert at uh, Target Center, um, okay. and it was really fun. And and that opening Mandelbrot, I can just hear it in my in my head. When I first <laughs> read your list, I was like, oh, I know exactly why you picked that. But what was the what was the rationale? How did you come across that? And why did that make yeah,
1: sense? I, I originally heard that with my daughter when she was on tour with her high school dance band. And I, I was very good friends with the her director uh, of that band, who came up with the idea when we were in Boston doing shows, or my daughter was in Boston, mm-hmm. I, I was working the Brown Board, uh, to go see Blue Man Group in their original house there. And uh, mm-hmm. so, of course, I had to buy the CD if I heard the music live. And uh,
0: yep. you know,
1: when you're riding for, I don't even know how many hours I was on my bike, but, you know, let's just say 16, 18 a day for 30 days in a row, you
0: mm-hmm.
1: listen to a lot of music. <laughs> so everything yep. I had on the iPhone, <laughs> everything I had on the phone, most of what I could stream, uh, I was listening. <laughs> to. That was in there, so it came up, and it came <laughs> up at a great right time and hit a positive chord. <laughs>
0: You know, the, the one thing that I'm, I'm surprised at is the uh, Highway Star by Deep Purple was not on every single day, like constantly.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that that was pretty wild, too. The, the, um, I actually had to look for that because it was like I was kind of looking for a song of the day one day when I was, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was down in the kind of Las Vegas, California desert, Arizona area, and it was hot hot, hot, hot. It was the end of a, a day that I'd gone from it was forty seven when I woke up and it was hundred and eight when I went to when I when I had dinner that same day and we dropped about five thousand nice. feet. Uh, and so lots of changes and lots of miles and it was just like, oh I gotta do something to get my mind off <laughs> off the seat. <laughs> and and so it's like, oh yeah, deep purple, highway star, let's put it on. And it was it was darn good, but it but it was actually one of the few on this list that was almost pre-thought or forced as opposed to let's just put on some music and see what happens. yeah
0: yeah <laughs> and uh, you know obviously the music had an, a, a key component to keeping you motivated throughout the day as you reflect back on uh, on this experience could you have done it without some music
1: yes but it wouldn't have been as enjoyable <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: I mean, yeah. I can only imagine just all the miles and miles and miles and not having any music. I would, I would just lose my mind.
1: Yeah, you know, the funny thing was that, you know, during the day, you're, you're looking around and you're, you're thinking about what you're eating and you're thinking about, you know, what you're seeing and stuff. But when you ride at night... You're in a, you're just in a small tunnel, especially without close behind. You know, you got your bike light on, and you can see the right white line in front of you, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. So you don't bother looking around, and uh, sure. but you focus on riding. Well, you can focus on riding for so long before it's like, okay, I'm riding.
0: Right.
1: But you put on the tunes, and all of a sudden, okay, focus on riding. Put on some tunes, and. I found that it was just, you know, that's rocket fuel right there, and and so your mind can go to the music and the memories, and you don't have to see anything but the white line, you know. So yeah, and 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 that was that's really the savior. Like like I mentioned earlier, I think I definitely put more miles on after dark than during the day Mm -hmm. for this whole trip.
0: Yeah. As uh, as you reflect on the the trip overall, what are what are some of those standout memories that are that are positive? Not the ones where you almost died from it.
1: <laughs> you know, one one time was a night ride, and uh, I was going through northern uh, Mississippi, uh, and kind of swamp land, and the I'd be riding through these caves of sound of swamp. Uh, amphibious uh, night sounds and Mm. it's similar to night sounds here in the north Minnesota you know Mm -hmm. But but there were some real different sounds in there and the thing was it was so loud it was like standing in a concert with the bass going right through your body and, and you'd go through wow. these tunnels with a really big sound and then it, you'd kind of come out of them and it'd just be more normal and then it'd just come back at you again and, and it was both unusual and spooky and, and, and just, it was just wild. I ended up calling up the mm. crew and saying, hey, get down here, open up your windows and, you know, and listen to this and they go, open windows? What are you talking about? It's coming right through the truck.
0: You know? <laughs> <laughs> wow. You, uh, you, so that you obviously was, met you met a bunch of people along the way too. Uh, talk a little bit about some of the people that you met and what your interactions were like with them.
1: Well, actually I'm going to have to, I, I'll put a teaser out for that because in this trip, I didn't meet people because we were doing, we were doing shelter in place out of the RV. And so right. the crew and I basically were not, you know, kind of autonomous to ourselves at the same time we had a videographer and a photographer that were in a different vehicle traveling by themselves, but with us the whole time. And they stopped in all 48 states and interviewed people every day, like actually interviewed people. Um, And they are putting together a video on that. And that's coming out probably nine months or plus from now. Uh, But they're really talking about, kind of the parallels between the struggles of riding across the country and the struggles of the country and and how you mm. overcome the struggles of both of those things um mm. really looking at it more from an actualized perspective what what could they do you know uh, to, mm. to move the needle in the right direction or what could they move do to be more fulfilled themselves which would move the needle and uh so i have only seen a few of those snippets i hear about them every day because mm. of, those guys would ride up to me in the car and kind of, oh, we got a great interview from this guy that, you know, lived through cancer five times and blah, blah, blah. Wow. And, but but I haven't seen those interviews yet. So that will be an
0: uh, mm. interesting
1: way of looking at it.
0: <laughs> what are some of the takeaways for you? I mean, you started out by talking about living life on purpose and doing things, um, you know, that are motivating and, you know, taking on challenges. What what do you take away from your ride and your experience in retrospect?
1: Yeah, you know, um, one one thing that I'm seriously considering is, uh, do I want to continue to do ultra ultra distance bike races? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the last day I uh, I day quote unquote I rode for uh, 603 miles straight, oh, and wow. uh, needless to say. With uh, a whopping six hours of sleep, the two pre- total for the two previous days, I was pretty exhausted. And I was literally falling asleep on my bike. Or, mm-hmm. or like, if you've ever seen or used Zwift, you know, if you stop mm-hmm. pedaling, your bike kind of goes to the side <laughs> of the road and just puts their feet down on the pavement. Yeah. I would do that. I would just be riding mm-hmm. along and I would, I would just kind of forget and I would just coast over, put my feet down on the side of the road. Because wow. it's like I was just too tired to even remember what I was doing. And wow. uh, uh, in fact, the driver in the truck in the RV, Sophie, behind me, got a cramp in his thumb from hawking the horn so many times to keep me away. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, that's bad. So I thought of that and said, you know what? I really cherish my life enough that maybe I don't know if I want to do that. But, uh, hmm. but I still like long distance riding, and I still like racing, so I'm, I'm still in the sport. But what I think I what I'm most excited about doing moving forward is really um, completing this this model that I was talking about with Actualize, which is really looking, helping people find their purpose and then helping people find out ways of making a living uh, on purpose um, mm-hmm. and a living is comfortable uh, mm-hmm. in or whatever. Some people, uh, that number can be all sorts of different things. But, sure. and this actualized model has four quick components. Let me just run through them fast. It's really passion or interests. You need those. And all four of them fit together. Uh, together. Uh, mm-hmm. So you need some passion. You need ability. And that's different than skills. We're talking about, you know, mm-hmm. uh, tenacity is an ability or uh, uh, mm-hmm. speaking is an ability. And you can use those abilities mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways. Uh, as opposed to a skill, you know, that is, uh, you know, uh, pedaling a bike is a skill, you know, uh, uh, physical ability. Uh, And then the third category is value. And it's something that you think is valuable. You, each individual thinks is valuable. So if you think it's valuable to teach kids how to read and write, you know, like a lot of grade school teachers would, then that's very fulfilling. In fact, that's one of the mm-hmm. two reasons why grade school teachers don't get paid is because so many people f- are so fulfilled by doing the job. The other one of course Maybe is they'd be
0: doing it for free. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, it's been a women's job which has been underpaid. But um, mm-hmm. but if you think fulfilling is making more money than God and then being able to do whatever you want with it, if that's a value of yours, I'm not saying it's a value of mine. Then that's what will give you fulfillment in doing it. Uh, most people's values are of the ilk of doing something good for somebody else. Uh, you know, I want to be a better grandmother. I want to learn how to knit. I want to, you know, I want to, I want to be able to ride my bike faster or better. I, you know, I want to, I want to be a better programmer. You know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. You know, but it's, but it's really. Uh, so anyway, so it's a value of the world, and that's, and that's where that correlation comes in so strong is that you're feeling mm-hmm. fulfilled and you're doing things of value. And then the fourth component is being able to make a living make income you know some way shape or form i do say make money which most people talk about it but then people are saying i don't care about money i just want to be able to live it's okay so it's an income or a living
0: right right yeah
1: putting those together so if you're doing things that you're passionate about and that your abilities can support and and you, you you value and you're actually able to live comfortably as a result of that Mm-hmm. that's living on purpose, and that's and so i I've been working on a, a tool to help people um identify what those opportunities might be in their life and uh and that i I'm very excited about getting back in and diving into that in a in a big way and uh moving forward
0: yeah and that. it that sounds it sounds like a really exciting venture, and obviously you had a lot, a lot of time to think yeah. about it on the uh, on the ride. What are, um, what are some of your bike goals? I mean, what's next for you?
1: Yeah, really, really good. Well, I, I'm a member of Minnesota Rondaneers, which I strongly uh-huh. advise to anybody that wants to be any kind of long distance rider or even just a good bike rider. Uh, you know, they, uh-huh. they, they specialize in 100, 200, 300, 400, 600 K rides, and then they'll do a thousand mile ride maybe once a year. Uh, and they're, and they're just the really knowledgeable bike riders uh, i learned so much from the minnesota rondonaires I, I can't even tell you how much i learned riding 200ks in the middle of winter every month uh, for hmm. two winters a row now uh, and then the group rides in the summer so I, i'm active in that organization and as an organization we've really done so we're doing some serious outreach to other biking groups that Cities, yeah, TCBC of course, and TCMC, uh-huh. um, and and bike shops. Uh, we 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 are identifying. You know, Freewheel happens to be the bike shop that I work with, and there's people that work with Eric's, and there's people that work with uh-huh. with others. Uh, you know, per, uh, uh, Perennial down there in Hennepin, uh-huh. uh, and uh, and we're reaching out and starting to partner and sponsor Bike MN. Uh, which is Mm. a fantastic organization that's working on legislative issues to provide safety Mm -hmm. and getting trail money and getting uh, funding for all sorts of education on uh, Mm -hmm. on biking. Love what they're doing. Excellent organization. Please look into that. And then uh, just uh, as a result of doing this ride, Um, uh, A woman uh, reached out to me from Free Bikes for Kids, Mm -hmm. which is an organization that's in a dozen cities. They've given away about 80,000 bikes so far. Their goal is to give away a million by, what is it, 2024. And they are very serious about hitting that goal. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm talking to them about how I can support their outreach uh, some more. Um, That's just in the very early uh, stages, uh, but definitely want to help with that because, you know, bikes are freedom. Bikes are good health. Mm-hmm. bikes are so the environment, you know, you
0: know, you yeah. know, well, Indeed. I'm in the choir here, you know. <laughs> well, that's that's exciting. I mean, I think uh, there are so many avenues where you can use this experience and the things that you're doing to promote that experience, you know, through the video and so on to really, um, encourage a lot of folks to um, get on their bikes and go around the block.
1: Absolutely. Go around the block, go to work, uh, or race the North Star Bike
0: Race from St.
1: Paul to Indeed. Canada. You know, which is coming <laughs> up <here> in September.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, Keith, this has been amazing to talk to you. Congratulations on your achievement and your accomplishment. I know it was uh, a tremendous feat physically mentally and organizationally and so you deserve a ton of credit for uh for what you've accomplished
1: well thank thank you very much i appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and your audience uh, about this i hope it spurs somebody on to get on their bike and go for a ride